Good morning. Good to be with y'all at this time. I want to dismiss the elementary and middle school, high school, all the schools, head downstairs. Suzanne, you are not alone in your uh, shock of your kid's lack of generosity. Uh, Will, my oldest, was trying to charge money to wash people's feet uh, for the uh, journey through Holy Week. And I do that. That's not really the, uh, the main part of the story. Uh, maybe we need to read that one again. Uh, as Joe mentioned, we are beginning a, a new series this is the Easter season. There's obviously Easter Sunday, and then there is a season that leads up to Pentecost uh, where we get to reflect and uh, think about and dream and discern what does it mean to live into to Easter. And we're going to use Psalm 23 to do that. We're calling it a, a song for the resurrection. It seems to give a vision, an invitation for what it might mean to live into Easter. And at least for me, Obviously, Christ is risen, the tomb is empty. Those are things that both resonate and are, and are hard to like, comprehend. Uh, and a lot of times, the easiest places I find for it to be the case is to think back to how that news might like, redeem our past. The things we have done, the things we have chosen, to hear that Christ is risen in some ways allows us to see that in a new way. Or, on the other end of the spectrum, to have some real hope for the future. That at least seems possible within the reality of Easter, but I think it can be difficult to truly understand and to believe how the resurrection of Jesus transforms our present. Like today, now, the very life we are in in this moment. And that's what I hope to kind of do through Psalm 23, because as Dallas Willard writes, he says, one of the greatest needs today is for people to really see and really believe the things they already profess to see and believe. And I think Psalm 23, it reminds and invites and guides us to believe and to see the things that we say we believe and that we see. The present reality of research. And so, our verse today, we're just taking this first verse. Uh, it declares who God is, and it says that God satisfies. Satisfies in the past and in the future, but right now as well. And it is declarative, and it is in the present. And we're going to wrestle with that today. So as we go into God's Word, will you guys first pray with me? Jesus, there's nothing but gratitude for the ways your Easter news redeems our past, offers us grace for the ways we have once lived, and we are so grateful for the vision of what your kingdom coming will be, the hope we can have in that. And yet your, God is, your news is even bigger than that, Lord, and so we pray as we approach Psalm 23 that your spirit might work in us to see how this is a present invitation to live into your grace and into your ways so that we might leave here changed people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
So like I said, we are only going to look at the first verse, but uh, we're going to read the whole thing um, just to get a, get a good gist. So listen for God's word for each of us this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, preaching uh, week after week, uh, means that for the most part, I have run out of interesting stories to tell about my life. I'm not even that interesting of a person. And so sometimes I take very uninteresting details and just try to make them interesting. But I don't have any more. I am like, the, the, the well is dry. And it means sometimes actually that when my kids do dumb things, I get angry and I wish they wouldn't do them. But even like while I'm yelling, I'm like, well, at least I got some new material. <laughs> There's a silver lining here. Uh, but unfortunately, my kids are pretty good kids. Uh, and so even that isn't, you know, just this endless place of uh, material. And so uh, that means I often have to go to plan C, which is to go down some serious Google rabbit holes. Uh, and so this morning, uh, when it was, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Obviously, I'm focusing in on, on the shepherd and how it, in, in, in essence, allows it, invites us to see ourselves as sheep. And I'm thinking about that relationship. And I don't know about you, but like I have a general Bible knowledge. I, I know kind of what sheep do and kind of what shepherd do, but I don't think many of us are like experts in animal husbandry. Maybe like Kate Isler, she's a veterinarian, but ever, all the rest of us, it's just a general knowledge. So I started Googling. I did see Miriam today and asked her what she was, or this week, I asked her what she was reading. She was reading a commentary on Psalm 23 written by a shepherd. I guess I could have done that, but <laughs> I went with Google. And so, uh, I mean, I went deep into the history of domesticating animals. I'm talking really deep. Like, I got some knowledge. Uh, you know, I was like, like, when did it start happening? Because that's what a sheep and a shepherd is. It's all about domestication. Like, when did it start happening? Uh, how does it happen? What kind of animals can you domesticate? What kind can't you domesticate? Uh, what are the benefits? Anyway, I'm into, like, my third article. That's right, I read multiple articles on this. And towards the end of this one article, it said... It was like, uh, it, the paragraph opened with, but not everyone is supportive of domestication. It's like, what? Not every, there are people that this is their thing, like this is the thing that they're rallying around, but apparently it's true. And, and then it went on to quote, I don't know if it's the current PETA president or the former, but current at that time, PETA president is a quote unquote, animal 
abolitionist. Never heard of this term before. Now I know this is a sensitive topic. I am pro free range chickens, all right? Pro that. Don't want my uh, animals all clustered up and whatever, but I just never, animal abolitionist. If you don't know what this is, luckily I do now. It is when you want all animals to be free in the wild, their natural state. Did, I don't even know what a wild cow is, but uh, I mean, I know what a buffalo is, but that ain't a cow. Uh, but this is what they want. Apparently, they've never seen a National Geographic special because the wild ain't the you know, sweetest place in the world. Uh, but this is what these people are, and I heard that, and I was like, I don't think I'm going to jump on that bandwagon. I doubt many of us are that convinced to go home and like let Fluffy roam free. Uh, yeah, just go enjoy your life for the next seven minutes before the coyote gets you. Uh, and so I was judging these people and I was thinking about it. Uh, but then I started getting back to this idea of shepherd and sheep and how Psalm 23 is like this incredible vision that we don't always live up to. And, I started to get a little nervous because the more I thought about it, the more I realized at least I, and I think many of us, are not that far removed from our PETA brethren, as we might assume. Because we actually subscribe to our own brand of anti-domestication. We do. In fact, I believe it is at the root of why we love the vision of this psalm, but our reality, it doesn't often reflect it. Or as Dallas Willard puts it, Psalm 23 is so often written on our tombstones, but not on our hearts. You see, we want to feel at home. We want domestic bliss, but we don't want to be domesticated. No matter how many people might proclaim, when I die, I want to come back in my, with my, as my dog, we actually you know, aren't that inclined to be reliant on others as our dog is. It's not something we're interested in. No, in our culture, being called a sheep is an insult. It's an insult. Being in a context where you're told what to do is rarely anyone's life goal. I'm actually listening to a podcast right now that is all about how experts have never been more accurate or less trusted. We're in a do-your-own-research kind of culture. You know, we love the idea of not having once, but we don't want to take the posture of a sheep. And honestly, it would be fine if, it would be one thing, you know, if we strayed from God, if we said, I don't want to do what God is asking me to do. I don't want him to be my shepherd. I don't want to be a sheep. That would, it would be understandable if we did that and we actually did our own thing. But we don't. We don't do our own thing. You know, the, the economy, the culture that we participate in, and I don't think this is an exaggeration, is driven by corporations and by companies making people into sheep without us knowing it. That sounds like something you hear in a college dorm. I understand that, uh, but I, I think this is true. It, we have pretty much anything that we consume. It is to 
be angry about this or to buy that or pursue this, want this, invest your time like this all so you will do and buy what we want you to. It sounds over the top, but don't be a sheep. Instead, buy what we want to buy is like a go-to marketing strategy. There's sharp, be original, buy our company. I don't even know what sharp does. Uh, or Sprite. These are all ones I just remembered off the top of my head. Obey your thirst by drinking Sprite. Or like the most famous Super Bowl ad ever, probably, Apple destroying Big Brother and being told to think different by buying our product. It all reminds me, it's just this covert domestication and it goes beyond what we buy. Honestly, a common mantra in our culture is be in control of your life. Be in control of your life by being a slave to your career. Work as hard as possible so that you will be successful and be free. It's a common mantra. It all, it all reminds me of, of David Wells, one of the best definitions of worldliness I think I've ever read. He said this, he's a theologian. He said, worldliness is what any particular culture does to make sin seem normal and righteousness seem strange. And in our culture, it is normal to want what others tell you you should want. That's normal. But it is strange to submit your life to God. Think about that. It's normal to want what others tell you you should want. But it's strange to submit your life to God. We allow marketers and social media, politicians and crowd to shepherd our lives via an image that is unobtainable. While all the while we were created in the image of the good shepherd who actually provides and protects. And I believe this is the invitation right from this opening line of Psalm 23 to, to recenter ourselves to step out of the world without disengaging from the world and remember who our God is. For when God is Lord of our life, when we put down our guard and become gentle and submit to His instructions, my Googling is already paying off because that is actually a definition of domestication. To be gentle and to submit to instruction. When we do this, we will have no wants. We'll actually be satisfied. We will be whole, complete, at home. Now, and in any circumstances. What Psalm 23 and really the whole of the biblical witness proclaims is not that our lives will be perfect, but they will not be defined by our imperfections. As Paul says in Philippians, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any 
in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And it is to rely on the Good Shepherd. To embrace and submit to the strength of Jesus and understand that that strength is in us and will strengthen us to do all things. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Shepherd is used often in the Old Testament. This is the one place it is used personally, not collectively. That is a declaration for you. It's not to say amidst all of our resources, all of our wants we would be able to provide. This is saying when the Lord is our shepherd, you will have no wants here, now, today. And returning to that Willard quote that we began with, the hope of this series, as we begin to uh, move through it line by line, is to really see and to really believe this thing that we have already professed to see and believe, that the Lord is our shepherd, and we will not want when we are his sheep. And so to close, as Joe said, we are um, encouraging you guys to memorize this psalm. I did this a few weeks back. I'd encourage you to do it with a partner. I did it with a partner a few weeks back, and it was good. Uh, held me accountable. Uh, but just to memorize this psalm, uh, and as you do, I just want to close by offering you three ways in which Psalm 23 might continue to, uh, to help you to remember this truth about God and to embrace it. And so the first one is this. It's just to, as you approach Psalm 23, as you read it and begin to memorize it, is to allow it to encourage you to confess when we begin this line, the Lord is my shepherd, we might be able to name the things other than God that we have allowed to shepherd us. To be honest about it. Who we have looked for and listened to and trusted. Who has shaped our wants. Who has guided our life. And then the second thing is to allow Psalm 23 to be a declaration of faith. This for me has probably been the most important one. Because too often, at least for me, I, I settle for a faith that is simply knowledge of what faith should be. I don't know if you ever do this, but I water down the promises of God so I can at least drink something. So it's to say, like, I know that to believe in God, to allow God to shepherd my life will mean I have no wants, but maybe I could just have that in, like, one area of my life. One area. We water them down. But I, and I just think that that in the end leaves us with little faith at all. I think faith is a half measure, never, never works out. And so I'd encourage you to allow this to be the baseline, to be the declaration of faith, that we work out our salvation, as Paul says, with fear and trembling by tethering ourselves to truths that we struggle to believe. And so when we read this psalm, don't come up with a realistic alternative. Instead, believe it so fully you're willing to name where you struggle to believe it. Like the Father in the Gospel of Mark, to read this psalm and to say, I believe this God helped my unbelief. To be fully there, to settle for nothing less than the vision of this life.
And that leads us to the final thing. Allow Psalm 23 these next couple weeks to be a guide. For friends, Jesus disciples never by sales pitch, but always by invitation. And therefore, it requires intentionality. It requires us to domesticate our thoughts, to recenter them. And I have found, of course, I continue to have wants and desires, and those often lead me to feeling insecure and anxious and wanting to take control. But when those come up, to begin to recite Psalm 23, to remember that this is the vision for our life. All of a sudden I can say, yes, I want this thing, but the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And slowly over time, I see the grace of God growing my faith to not only believe that it's true, but to see how it's true. This is the gift of our God who is invited to be our shepherd through his grace. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Jesus, so grateful for a season, not just a day where we can continue to hear about the power of your resurrection. And so God, I pray as we begin this little journey through Psalm 23, that it might be a continual place where we can confess where we have fallen short to be able to declare what does it mean, what your promises mean for our life, and to allow your song to guide us as we step in to the full life that you have given us through your Son, our Savior, the God that we pray through and in and towards, Jesus Christ. Amen.